December 19th, 2020. You are listening to Sam Walking in the World. Now I have to warn you, it's 5.24 in the morning. Uh, I like to tell you when it's this early because I want you to understand if I end up um, leaning toward the mystical. It seems to always happen to me. But I do have some tangible things to talk about. Um, but uh, first, uh, let me get through this. Um, you're listening, of course, to Sam Walking in the World. This is episode 42, which got me thinking. I'm not sure when I'm supposed to end a season. Like, there's no, like, resolution of plot like there would be in, like, a, a TV series or a Netflix series. So, I don't know. I guess I'll just, like, I don't know, 50 maybe? I don't know, maybe 100? Maybe I'll do it when Biden is inaugurated. And I'll go by presidents. Anyway, this is episode 42, the fastest growing podcast on all of Nulltop Terrace. And as always, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy. Now, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. Guten Tag, ki ora, ni hao, top of the morning, funat, chesky, periwopadiet, and don't be a hoser, eh? Now for a fat hello to all my listeners across four continents and two hemispheres. I'm grateful to you, and as always, I'm thrilled as ever to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. Now I want to tell you what happened this morning. First, I should tell you that I've been up since 2.20, maybe, 2.30. I went to sleep very early last night. I just sort of fell asleep. I bet I fell asleep at about 7 o'clock. Um, I didn't intend to fall asleep. It just kind of happened. And I slept very well, like deep. And um, I, I woke up at about 2.30 and I just couldn't sleep. And I, I was thinking to myself, this is way too early to go get Sadie. Because, and then I thought, because why? Like, is she going to know it? She can like look at her little doggy watch and be like, come on, dude. You can wait a couple hours. Of course not. She doesn't have a watch. So I marched up the stairs really quietly. And uh, I woke her up, which is always a pleasure, waking her up before she wakes me up. So I won the battle this morning. And um, she just acted like she normally acts. She laid in the bed, yawned, made some loud noises, and then wanted to go for a walk. So I took her downstairs. She saw my boots on and she said everything was ready to go. So there it was identical to what would have been at, I don't know, 4.30 when we would normally go. All of that sounds weird, but oh well. And so coincidentally, when I woke up, it was about five minutes from the time my stepson arrived back from a party or, you know, hanging out with his friends. They're all back from college. It's lacrosse buddies. And um, and he was dropped off by his friend, and he'd been in a party or something. So he was, like, you know, a little bit loopy. Not terrible, but and not even bad, really. It's even hard to tell. But, he, but I could just tell by the way he was talking. And uh, he saw that I was up, too. So it kind of wasn't weird for him to come in late because I was already up. And uh, I was in hanging out with Sadie in, in the bedroom with my wife. Just kind of sleeping there. And he came in and 
whenever he comes home, she wakes up. And so she, just for a minute, and then she sleeps till like 10 on weekend mornings. But we'll do it, and I'm not complaining because it gives me, I don't know, peace and quiet. <laughs> but she, uh, we all just kind of talked for a little while. And, um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm definitely going to take this dog. So he was uh, sitting on the living room, laying on the living room couch watching the game show network. I don't know why. But I also don't know why I can't stop watching it once I start. And it amazes me what people don't know. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we, we had, we were, he kind of followed me out as I was walking the dog, like in his socks. Now, understand it's like 19 degrees out and I'm all bundled up. Sadie doesn't care. And I guess because his body was pretty warm, probably. He just came out. And I think he was worried because the friend who dropped him off drives like a, this Mercedes sports car. And it's, he loves to like speed. And it's a very loud car, too. And he was worried that if I walked Sadie like I normally do without her on her chain, that, you know, his friend was coming back with like Taco Bell, I guess. He drove somebody home and they wanted him to go out and get Taco Bell. And he must be a good friend because he went and got it. And he was going to be coming back up through the neighborhood and then going back down, leaving kind of up the hill and then back down. He was worried about Sadie. And so he, I think that's why he started walking outside with me. He wanted to warn me. And uh, which is very nice. Like, I got thinking, like, he's such a good kid. He's protective of his mother and and everyone, really. He just wants well-being. That is a good instinct. And so <clears throat> um, he, he went back inside. The, the, the car sped by the other direction. And I was kind of standing in the driveway with him before I went for the walk. And um, I, was, I always look first up at the sky. If there aren't clouds, I look up at the sky. And I, I see kind of the same constellation of stars around the same time in the morning. And, and when it's clear, especially that early, it's such a like, dark space around the stars. And it's, it's just, it just, it's vast. It makes me, makes me just be in awe. I know that sounds kind of corny, but I really am. So I just kind of lean my back and I yawn and arch my back and I just kind of stare at the sky. I'm, I'm yawning again. And I stare at the sky, and uh, he was standing there with me, kind of looking at the sky. And I was like, "Hey, look, the Big Dipper." And um, then he was like, "Yep." And then I looked again close as I was starting to walk out of the driveway with the dog, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's not the Big Dipper." Like that's it was kind of foggy, and like that's not that's not the Big Dipper. You kind of know when you see it. Like, Is it? I don't know. Anyway, and I started on my walk. And I went much further than I normally would. I went up a hill, up another hill, because it's 2 in the morning. And I just started thinking about my day. I know you're probably wondering, where is this going? To be honest, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I started my day, and I always have to point myself in the right direction. Um, I know I have things to do during the day. But it's always kind of my choice of what I'm going to do, like what my priorities will be for the day. 
I have this fear that I'll either, and they're both irrational fears, but I have this fear that I'll either be so busy that I'll feel overwhelmed or I'll have nothing to do and I'll be bored. It's crazy. But like, those are my automatic, like subliminal thoughts when I wake up and there must be something about my brain as it is normally constituted that is off. And maybe it's my fears, my underlying fears or insecurities, or I don't know what. Probably fears in some way, because I think everything is traceable to fear. It's like the primary color of emotions. And, um, and I have to consciously point myself. I have to say, okay, well, if you're not sure what you're going to do, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I was like, well, I have to, I have to mail a bill that I have on my desk that I got yesterday in the mail. I can do that. Um, and then I have to correct a few mistakes I made in grading. I got a few emails from students who said that I graded something and I put the grade in the wrong place. And I probably did. So I can do that. That'll occupy me for a while so I won't be bored. And my mind starts to grab a whole bunch of other things that I can. And before I know it, I have to do stuff. And I feel like I'm going to be overwhelmed. And then I get back to the house and I'm bored. But I didn't get back to the house yet. I was still walking up the street thinking about this. Just literally, how was I going to start my day? It's a Saturday. So I have a lot of choice. And that's good, but also sometimes it's bad. Like uh, Too many choices can paralyze you. But I don't know. Here I go again. So anyway, I'm walking up the, up the street, and I think I, I just start kind of, I, I can't help it. I start thinking about the meaning of life. What am I here for? How did I get here? I know I'm here, so I know I'm alive. There's life. And I just start thinking about God. If he's there, feels like he is. And so I just keep on walking and I think to myself, well, everything will take care of itself if I just did do the next right thing. And so I'm walking up the street and I'm starting to feel better. I'm like, well, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to pay that bill. And then I'll, I'll see what happens from there. That's the key. I'll see what happens from there. I'm not in that position where I'm done doing the, writing the bill and putting putting it in the envelope and putting the address on it and the stamp on it. I know why am I mailing a bill in the mail? You're probably asking. It's the only one that you can't pay electronically that I have of my, I don't know what, 15 bills, monthly bills. But, oh well. I'm not in that moment where I'm just done sealing the envelope and putting it down. Then I'll have a better idea of what I'm supposed to do next. Or what I want to do next. It's and, and I was just way out of the moment. And it's like everything does seem better or seem right in some way if you stay in the moment and don't project. I know I talk about this all the time, but I literally have to do it every single day. And so I'm walking up the street. And we, I finally kind of reached the apex of where I'm walking to up the street. And the dog is running around these, this neighborhood because... It's not usually where we go on our walk, but it is where, where she goes on walks with my wife. So she knows the area and she always tends to stay within, I don't know, 50 yards of me. Um, and usually whenever I whistle, pretty much always, whenever I whistle, 
may take her a minute, but she comes running back. And it is, I got to tell you this, it is an awesome feeling to not know where your dog is for a second and then see her appear and start running toward you or him. Is I don't know what it is. It's such a, and I always make sure that I reward her with, with good girl, good girl when she gets back because I don't want to make her feel like she doesn't want to come back to me when she's been gone for a while. Or if she's hesitated in coming back, didn't come back as fast as I wanted her to. No matter what, when she comes back, I say, good, good girl. And there's something about if there's a, a story in the Bible about a sheep or something and how you're supposed to be grateful or something. I don't know exactly. But kind of in that vein is what it felt like. Like, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to make her feel good no matter what when she comes back. Then she'll be more likely to come back. And I'm happy that she came back. It's such a good feeling, not knowing where she is. And then she pops out of the woods. Here comes, I'll hear the pitter-patter. She'll come flying down the street, across into the street light, and I'll see her. So she came back, and I started giving her treats as we kind of started strolling back. And I stopped for a second. I, put, I threw a treat down, and she sniffed it and just kept walking. It's like, oh, so you're going to be like that. And so I just stopped and stood there for a second, thinking about whether or not to pick it up. And then I found myself looking back up at the sky, and I was thinking... I was thinking to myself, God, if you're there, if you exist, I'm, and I, I feel like you do because I'm here. You created me and allowed me to end up in this standing in this road, staring at the sky with this thought in my head. And I kind of thought, you know what? I know you're there. Like I was thinking, like I'm one of those people who knows you're there. You didn't pull anything over my eyes. And... Because, I, you know, I always go back to it. God is everything or God is nothing. You know, if you're, if you're so confident there's no God amidst all of this and your own existence, then fine. But it's just too, it's too hard for me to think that. And then there's no third choice. There is no in-between. You know, I say this all the time, but it's, it's constant. It's, it's, for me, it supplies my purpose. So I think, okay. Let's presume there is a God. After all, I'm here. And I'm, I'm looking up at the sky and I'm thinking about him and his possibility. Or her or it. Whatever. I don't want to get into that. But I'm staring at the sky and I think I know what I'm going to do first now. And I'll just deal with whatever I'm going to do next. And I feel pretty healthy now about starting this day. And I'm kind of just staring blankly at the sky. And then all of a sudden, my eyes came back into focus. And I saw what I was looking at. And, and I'll be damned. But there, right, right in the middle of my field of vision was the Big Dipper. Clear as can be. And it almost looked like there was nothing around it. And I was like, you son of a... And so, I don't know if there's ever coincidences. Or maybe there just are. But... Sometimes I just get this weird feeling like he's messing with me. And, and all I know is to keep on doing what I did this morning. Go through that process and end up feeling good about beginning my day. And and, and usually the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do is for somebody else. I'm going to try to listen to somebody who needs to talk. I'm going to try to have a happy expression on my face if someone doesn't. Just see how the world needs me today. I always know when I do that, God will jump out of the bushes. 
So I warned you that I was going to get mystical, and I did. And uh, that's my little intro. Um, I will. I have a lot to talk about today. Um, I, I know I didn't mention any of it, but you'll, of course, see what it is as I talk about it. With that, I'm going to take a quick break. What's up, Milky? <laughs> Welcome back to Sam Walking the World, episode 42. You'll be happy to know Milky's doing well. Always good. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about a few stupid things first before I get on to um, what I'm going to talk about. I think the larger thing I'm going to talk about today is um, this call for the redistribution of wealth. Equity. Things make things more equitable. Um, And uh, how I believe that waves accountability, which I think undermines the human spirit. So, I don't know if that made any sense, but I know it will later when I explain it. Um, so, that's coming up. Um, but first, I'm going to talk about, like I said, some stupid things. Um, Christmas is coming. Uh, right around the corner. I cannot believe how fast it came. Like, today's Saturday. Christmas is less than a week away. I think it's next Friday. And it's been an odd Christmas season. Because I think hustle and bustle is missing. And as much as it does create annoyances like traffic toward the mall or anytime you're near any kind of store or shopping area, it's like traffic is insane. Um, and that kind of has been eliminated by COVID. Oh, by the way, the COVID for, for posterity, the COVID, <coughs> COVID vaccines have come out. Um, Pfizer has one that's already out. I think they've had, I don't know. Uh, 200,000 or, or maybe 2 million, I don't know what, doses to uh, the elderly and the uh, people with underlying conditions and frontline healthcare workers. Um, there are a few side effects, but it looks like it really works. And then also on Friday, Moderna, um, their vaccine was approved by the FDA. So And theirs is, doesn't have to be kept at 70, minus 70 degrees Celsius can be just kept at normal refrigeration temperature. And, and I don't think that it needs to be two doses like Pfizer. It's just one. And so I think that is going to be, they're, they're su- suggesting like 20 million doses by the end of December. And so this is the beginning of the end of COVID, but it's still here for Christmas. And it definitely has had an effect on the season. That, Like I said, the hustle bustle isn't really there. Traffic is... A lot less than it normally would be, even at this time of year. And I guess part of me likes that. I, I, I do. It does feel odd because normally at Christmas time, that's part of what it is. Everyone's out and about, bumping into each other, and there's a lot more decorations um, around stores and shopping malls that just that just aren't this year. And a lot of people are just staying home because they want to play it safe because the vaccine's out. You know, they want to, they don't want to fumble on the one yard line, which I get. And so, um, it definitely is an odd feeling, but, um, well, what I was thinking about is gift giving. And I don't, I know I talked about this before, but everyone's got like their own strategy, you know, and it tends to cause stress. 
I gotta get this for I gotta get this wrapped up for them first because I'm gonna see them first, and then I have time to wrap this for them. But oh God, I'm almost out of wrapping paper, and I think I need some tape. When am I gonna find the time? I gotta cook the cookies. Oh my God. Oh, I gotta get all this done so I can be happy. But the gift giving, especially, and money. Right? Who am Who am I supposed to buy gifts for? Versus, who do I want to buy gifts for? For whom have I found gifts that are suitable? And that, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Is I almost try to do it backwards. And and I probably start. You know what? I almost kind of do it all year round. But I'll 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 be thinking. I'll see somebody and be thinking of something, and I'll be like, "Wow, that person would love that," and they're never going to be in this circumstance to be able to get it. And so I'm like, "You know, what? I'm, I'm going to buy it." And then you can either wait till Christmas to give it to them, but I don't usually do that. I'm like, I'm like here, I got you this. Just unwrapped. Like uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a friend who loves John F. Kennedy. He's of course a liberal. But despite that, he's a really awesome guy. <clears throat> and I work with him. And I've known him for a long time. And he's a good man. And he loves John F. Kennedy because I think he thinks John F. Kennedy is a good man. I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm, he likes him enough to like, I'm talking about like picture on the living room wall, like Alex P. Keaton's picture of uh, Ronald Reagan. That kind of uh, adoration. And I thought... Anything with John F. Kennedy on it is something he probably would like to have. And there's probably some things with John F. Kennedy on it that he doesn't have. And I just happen to be in a convenience store. Not a convenience store, uh, like a, a Walgreens, like a pharmacy store. And they always have, like, odd things. And at the end of one of the aisles, there were these 500-piece puzzles. And most of them were just, like, landscapes, cityscapes, oceans, underwater ones with, like, the dolphins and stuff. Which are cool. And um, and there just happened to be this like group of, like I don't know, three or four of, um, of John F. Kennedy's face. And his speech that he gave. The famous, um, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country speech. And it was kind of nice. Um, and it was like four bucks. And I saw it. And I happened to be there buying other things. And I just kind of bought it. And then when, we get, when I saw him again... Uh, I had it in my car, and I was like, you know what, I'm probably going to see him, so I'm going to put it in my bag. And I came in, and, and I saw him, I was like, yeah, how's it going? He's like, yeah, how's it going? I'm like, oh, look, here. I gave it to him. He's like, what's this? I'm like, look at it. And then as soon as he saw what it was, he was like, oh, man. He's like, I, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. And I was like, how stupid a thing it is, but it was the thing I saw that he might like, and then I gave it to him. I wish Christmas gift-giving could be in the same vein. Because then people wouldn't give each other, and I'm telling you, people actually get this gift. It's one of those de designed plastic, I guess, milkshake cups. You know, with the sealable top and the straw that goes through it, and it's all plastic, so like you can reuse it. And it says something, you know, on the front, like, you are wonderful, or, or life is amazing, or something like that. And it's stuffed with, like, tinsel and, like, um, chapstick and um, maybe uh, a little bit of some Hershey's Kisses. And, and, you, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, 
this is just going to take space up in my house. At first, I'll be like, oh, what a nice gift. I'm going to put it on this shelf of my bookcase. And, and then I'll, I'll have it, and I'll be able to look at it and think what a nice gift it was from somebody. But then eventually, it ends up just being something that takes up space. Unless it's the kind that you would drink out of. But those kind of cups, I think we have like 50. No, I'm just exaggerating, but like at least like six in the house that no one drinks out of. And you have to like reach around them to get like the cup you want in the cupboard. That kind of gift where you say, I'm buying a gift for that person. What should I buy? Versus, I think this person will like this thing, and it doesn't matter what time of year. I find that I don't have that much, I don't feel that much pressure on me to find some perfect gift. Like for my wife, for example. Because I like to believe that what I give her all year long shows her that I love her. To the point where she wouldn't need some indicator of that love at Christmas. Now, I'm not sure what I'm going to get her because I haven't seen it yet. And if I don't see something, well, I might not get her something. But I'll probably get her something five days later because I saw something. And it won't be a Christmas gift. It'll just be something I saw that she would like. And um, I just feel like it's much more honest that way. And, and less pressure. And I think more genuine. Because sometimes it's like you have to spend this much on that family and they have to spend that much on that family. And they're going to be spending this much, so we better spend this much. And we pull, I'll pull names out of the hat and and this is the dollar limit. So you know you everyone's got to make sure that they spend up to that limit but not over it. And it makes me think, like, why doesn't everybody just stand in a circle and hand the person to your left $100? Honestly, just hand the person to your left $100 and the transaction is complete. Because if you're in, unless you know the person ahead of time and have your eyes open for something that they might like. Because really, otherwise, it's just an exchange of money, of monetary value. And then gift cards. I, I, I got you a $50 gift card to Target. Like, okay, if you're going to give me the value of money to spend at a place, why didn't you just give me money? Oh, I didn't want to just give you money. So I gave you money. I gave you Target money. If you're gonna do that, why don't you just give me money? Then I can spend it on gas if I want, or I can. Nah, that's too impersonal. Oh, but thank you for knowing how much I treasure Target and the merchandise that they have. That's the very personal touch that you gave me in this gift. Makes no sense. So if you're with your family and you're starting to get frustrated about this, why don't you tell them all to just stand in a circle and hand the person to their left? Whatever the limit is, $20, $50, $100. And then you're done. You give 100 and you get 100 Put it in your pocket. It's a different 100 Anyway, that, <laughs> that's what I had to say about that. I'm going to take a quick break because i got to get a drink. Here's the milky. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 42. I'm thinking about giving up on capitalization in my casual written communication. I say that again. <clears throat> Thinking about giving up capitalization in my casual written communication, like when I text people or when I email people. And I think it's good to sometimes do things that are against your normal inclination. Because 
when you do something because you feel you have to over and over again without examining whether or not its purpose is still necessary. You get into a rut. And I am an English teacher, and so I teach punctuation all day because I'm preparing kids for formal written presentation, academic presentation. But it isn't always necessary. And I think in terms of casual communication, so long as you're still able to write academically, and you understand what it would be if it were written correctly. Um, and who's to say what's correctly? When you're writing to communicate, and especially in a casual sense, correct is casually written. Because who wants to spend time hitting an extra button in order to have a capital letter to start your text or hit another button so that you can place a period or a comma at the end or in the middle of what you're talking about. And I also understand shortening the spelling of words to make it obvious. So long as it's understandable. And it's very against my inclination. Almost like I'm afraid, like I said before, like when I, when something gets mis-autocorrected, I feel like I have to go back and fix it or at least send the person another one kind of coming behind it that says the correct spelling of the word. So like they know, I know I did it wrong. But sometimes people even send you the word written correctly and write mis-autocorrect. They'll write, it got corrected wrong or something like that. I just wonder why. I mean, I get the inclination, so I guess I do know why. But I'm thinking of giving it as an act of, like, sacrifice and to do something against my natural inclination. Um, I think I'm going to just start starting my sentences with lowercase letters. I'll start with that and see where it goes. Um, but on the other hand, punctuation is sometimes critical to conveying meaning. I'll never forget that I saw this one book. It was about punctuation and where punctuation matters and where it doesn't necessarily matter. Kind of along the lines of what I'm talking about right now. And the, the book was called A Panda Walks Into a Restaurant, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. A panda walks into a restaurant, eats, shoots, and leaves. And one simple comma can completely change what the sentence is conveying. Either it's about a panda who comes into a restaurant and sits down and orders a meal and eats it, and that meal is comprised of shoots and leaves, which pandas eat. Or it could be the story of a panda who walks into a restaurant, pulls out a Glock, blows somebody away, and then makes his way back out of the restaurant. A panda walks into a restaurant, eats, shoots, and leaves. Think about it. So, you can't really throw out the baby with the bathwater. For those of you who are still confused about what that one means, which I was for a long time, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's where you're so disgusted by a system of doing something or, you know, a method of doing something. You're so sick of it that you just throw it out altogether. Like if someone's getting annoyed because there are too many announcements over the PA system in the building you work at, 
So you just decide, that's it, we're taking the system out, no more announcements. Well, you've also thrown out the baby. The baby is the ability to communicate from the main office area to all the other places, which is essential. But in your haste to get rid of the part you didn't like, you threw out the baby as well. So I didn't really know exactly what that meant. I had an idea kind of what it meant, but that's what it is. It's it's get, in the effort of throwing out something you don't like, a part of it that is necessary gets thrown out too. I like to think the baby is necessary. Oh, these worms are disgusting. I don't know why I opened this can. Okay, one more thing. And I, I think I've talked about this too, and most people just kind of know it as a common truth, but... If you do the easy thing, it makes the hard thing later. And if you do the hard thing, it makes an easy thing later. It's like the balance of the universe. Like shoots and ladders. I think that was why that game was such a philosophical metaphor. Climb ladders in order to go down shoots. I always used to say my dad worked so hard when I was a kid. I used to just see my dad working really, really hard. And it got to a point where it was it was difficult for him to just to just spend money or just relax or just do something that was just purely indulgent. Um, I look at those shoots as a celebration of the ladders that you climbed. But why did this, why did this occur to me? Because I was in my car driving. And in the summer, well, maybe like the fall, probably like September. No, maybe August. I like it matters. I um, I had a bunch of money, and I I just let things come to me of what it would be a good idea to spend it on. And I, I was getting my car inspected because I was getting get my car inspected in August, which I recommend because if you get it done in the winter and your and your tires are close to not passing the inspection, where they put that little dime in there and it's got to be up to a certain level of the dime or whatever the tread, um, they can make you get new tires if you're over your, you know, if your inspection's overdue. They have the legal obligation to do that. So that's two things: get your car inspected in the summer, and. Um, make sure that you get it inspected before your inspection runs out. Then you have the choice to just leave. You probably all know that already. For the young ones in the audience. Um, and so I was like, you know what? These tires are almost dead. And I have money right now. And I'm just going to buy some killer tires. First, I was thinking about buying snow tires. But when I, when I talked to the guy and I looked at the tires, uh, there was a uh, a set of like all all weather tires that I could just drive all year long, and and they were they were bad, you know what? They were big, thick, and I thought to myself, looking at them, I'll with my four wheel drive and my Jeep, I will be able to go anywhere I want all the time in the winter. And as winter comes, those dreads that you get about winter, all those little hardships that winter causes, and one of them is driving. Oh, man, which route should I take? I don't want to go up that hill. I'm going to have to go around. Man, I don't know if I'm going to make it back up the hill. What if I'm going down the hill? I might just slide right into traffic. I, and you always end up behind that one guy who's in his, like, sedan with his front-wheel drive, almost bald tires. He's just waving there in front of you, fishtailing but going nowhere. Everyone's got to, like, adjust. Everyone that has tires and can drive 
has to adjust, go around him. But I can just barrel past people like that. And I just, it's, it's such a relief to know that you have adequate or great even tires going into the winter. It takes one of those dreads away. And I thought of it ahead of time in September. And so I kind of did, you know, what you could call climbing a ladder. I spent like, I don't know what, 800 bucks to get really, really good tires. And, um, and then I forgot about it. And then it snowed really hard a couple days ago. We had a snow day. And, um, and I, it never even entered my mind to worry about the snow as it related to me going anywhere because I had the tires. And then it occurred to me as I was driving and kind of enjoying the sound of the snow under the tires and feeling it grab with all four wheels and knowing I was in complete control, if there's such a thing, of my car. And I thought, wow, I did the hard thing, so to speak. And now I get this easy thing. And then when I got back home and I was pulling into my garage, I remembered that like also in September, I cleared like a lot of the extra crap out of the garage, just kind of piecemeal. I moved stuff to the back of it. I took stuff that can go downstairs, like the lawn and gardening stuff and all that. Just as I thought of it each time, I just kind of brought a little more downstairs and the, the garage is completely clear. My motorcycle is kind of sideways in the back, covered. I didn't have to put it in the basement this year. And uh, I just pulled right in. I thought that was another thing I did. I, I walked into the house happy because I had a clear garage and and snow tires. And uh, my winter was less dreadful. Nice even. So, all right. I don't even know why I told you about that. Um, I'm going to take a quick break um, before I get to the heavier stuff. Um, and, and uh, I, you know what? I'll just talk about it when I get to it. So. I will take a quick break, and I'll be back. Milkman. <laughs> Milkman is holding up his hip flask. He's going to secretly drink eggnog out of. Don't hog the nog, dude. <laughs> All right, let's get into the heavier stuff. This is the stuff that came into my mind that I had to kind of work out in my head so that I wouldn't be frustrated. And it's got to do with the world. It sort of has to do with politics. But I think ultimately it's philosophical. And that is this. It seems like almost every facet of life, when it comes to the government, I'm, I'm sorry, but especially it seems like more on the left, everything's in the woke, the people who are woke, it seems like almost every aspect of life is seen through a prism where people have wealth that don't deserve it and people that don't have wealth are victims. Right? People who have wealth don't deserve it. They're privileged in some way that allowed that wealth to flow to them. Notice the individual doing the work that acquires the wealth is eliminated from the equation. Somehow the system just allows it to flow to them through no effort of their own. And those that are at the, quote, bottom, if it's even the same group of people that stays at the bottom or the top, like we, we treat them like they're a, a, a group that is static. But even if they are, the idea that the group at the bottom that doesn't have wealth 
doesn't have it because for the same reason, the people that do have it have it, and that's the system. Whether it's class, gender, race, sexual orientation, some bias in the system causes this discrimination that causes them to end up having less. Also, through no choice of their own. Right? Like for the people that have wealth, it's through no work of their own. And for the people who don't, it's through no choice of their own. It's like it takes away the burden of individual responsibility. It places it on the system. The system is responsible for an equitable distribution of wealth. It isn't up to each individual to do as they will and end up where they do. Now, I know a system has to be fair, but fair in terms of opportunity, not outcome. We've become obsessed with creating the outcome. And just like it's, it's not prudent for an individual to be overly focused on the outcome, but more focused on the process... Whether it's, whether it's winning a championship in a high school sport or, or uh, doing well at your job or even, even um, participating in a relationship. You can't know if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody, but you can make good choices today. But instead, it starts with the outcome and it works backwards. It looks at statistics and decides by looking at inequalities that they presume that it must be inequity. In other words, it must not be the doing of the people involved, especially when it emerges that there are groups that appear to be at the top and groups that appear to be at the bottom, maybe, maybe on race, maybe on gender, maybe on sexual orientation, whatever the um, identifier is that you happen to be talking about. And, and then the great assumption. I call it the great assumption because, first of all, I don't even know if assumption is a bad enough word for it, but it's false. This presumpt presumption, I guess, that there is a reason, and then you can name specifically why these people are in this group and those people are in that group. And what seems to be the, the most favored thing is discrimination, bias. And I guess the biggest thing that, that drives me nuts about it is that it is the opposite of what Martin Luther King wanted. He wanted everyone to be judged by the content of their character. Not the color of their skin. And for that matter, any outward identifiable characteristic. Any superficial characteristic. Like we said, all of those, like I've said, <laughs> all of those things ought to be incidental not essential what color you are how tall you are how heavy you are whether you're gay whether you're straight whether you identify as a woman or a man all of those things are incidental to your character your character is the way you live the way you you as an individual not the group to which you belong and how they're treated you Whenever we do this thing where we analyze a group, we, it, we take away the, the, the spirit of the individual. 
choices and actions and ultimately outcomes of the individual. Now, I know some systems help people more than other people. You know, they actually they actually do make choices and, and delineations based on outward characteristics. Like, I'm going to give you an example, like um, uh, quotas. Quotas are a good example. Where they take an outward identifier, say it's women, and they say, we're going to make sure that we have X and such percent of women. As a way of advancing women, because we believe that this system discriminates against them. We can't exactly put our finger on why, except that there aren't as many of them. And so we're going to add more of them in a sense, artificially. I mean, there'll be a, if they're as qualified as the man, we're going to choose the woman. And I guess I can understand that if you want a greater representation of them and they are equally qualified. But as soon as the standard for qualification is lowered in order to include someone of an outwardly appearance, it becomes dangerous. It becomes wrong, actually. It becomes wrong, philosophically wrong. Because you've placed that person as a member of a group instead of them as an individual. If that individual isn't capable of that job equal to another person with a different outward appearance, you're being racist or sexist or, or whatever, whatever other ist there is. That literally is choosing someone based on the color of their skin or, the, or the, their gender or their sexual preference or orientation or whatever it is. That's the opposite. That's the opposite of what Martin Luther King wanted. And how is that lost on everybody? And the real danger in it is, as soon as that starts happening, individuals will say, okay, if I want to get ahead, I'm going to have to um, find a place where my group is considered a minority and then a quota system will allow me to rise. And that's terrible. That's terrible. It, it doesn't harness the human spirit. The human spirit is individual. In the, in the best groups that tend to be diverse naturally, people are there because they're supposed to be there. I just I can't say it enough. And so whenever I see, for example, Pete Buttigieg talking about how the Department of Transportation will be an avenue through which he creates greater wealth equity. What? Buses, trains, airplanes? That, that's your business in that department. Why are you even getting involved in wealth distribution? Like evening the score. Any of those artificial, it's like almost like price fixing. It screws the economy up. It's unnatural. And this does really bother me because you see it everywhere. I mean, you see it everywhere. Eventually, you end up suggesting to the group of people who are naturally inclined to grow and develop and work. Eventually, you tell those people that's not worth anything. In our, in our new system, that's not worth anything. The problem is they forget that without those people, there's nothing to lift the system up. There's nothing to innovate. Right? There's no workers that generate that that is literally the cart before the horse you can't forget that the horse is what pulls 
You know, we want the cart to have more respect, so we're going to put it in front. Okay, have fun staying exactly where you are. So, I think we always need to remember whenever we're doing this sort of classifying that we are not members of groups, we are individuals. And, and maybe if there's if there are certain groups that are that are um, plagued by certain um, hardships, then it's better to think of them as individuals and see how those individuals can be offered opportunities. And that's my two cents on that. I got it out. I feel like I think I feel pretty good about that. And I think I've been here enough, and I feel pretty good now. So I must have gotten enough out. And with that. Thank you very much, Milky, as always. And I uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And hopefully I will see you very soon. Goodbye.